This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. When people say, well, what kind of food do you make? I say it's delicious food that happens to be good for you. I like to say I do like a Mediterranean style of eating, but with global flavors. So I really pull from all of those food experiences that I personally, even to this day, just love to experiment with different kinds of flavors. Ellie Krieger brings joy to the world of food and everything she cooks, striking a great balance between healthy and delicious, her trademark. She is a rock star New York Times bestselling author of seven cookbooks and is also a TV host and clinical nutritionist to boot. She has a brand new line of cookware that accompanies her latest cookbook, Hole in One. And coming up, you'll hear why Ellie believes the key to well-being is the balance, not elimination of ingredients. And how a slice of melon at her grandmother's table played an important role in inspiring a love of food, family, and ritual. This is her story. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us, in our own way, is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Ellie Krieger, it is such a joy to be with you. I have watched you from afar. I have seen you up close. You have a stellar reputation, and you wear so many hats. And that's what we're going to talk about today, all of the extraordinary things that you've done in the culinary world. You are an author of seven books. You are a TV star, an executive television producer. You are a New York Times bestselling author. And you have a degree, a master's degree in clinical nutrition from Columbia University. Wow. (laughs) It is great to be here with you and to hear you sort of singing my praises oh, yeah. is, is it feels great to me because I feel the same way about you. So there we go. Wow. Well, thank you. <laughs> so we've been around for a long time. And, you know, this show, One Woman Kitchen, is very intergenerational. I think it's really a, a focus for me because I think we slightly older women have a lot to share about our experiences in the food world. And we'll want to hear about yours. And I also know that you have a daughter who is interested in maybe entering this field. So I want to hear a little bit more about that too. But right now you are on book tour for your most recent book, which is called Whole in One. Tell me about that. And whole is W-H-O-L-E. So what what is this book about? Yeah, so this is an exciting time. It's like so energizing. And I'm glad you specified, yes, it's W-H-O-L-E, whole in one, um, because that whole stands for many things for me. So it's whole foods. I really use minimally processed foods. That's part of my basic food philosophy. Also, this book is whole meals, so complete healthy meals in a single sheet pan pot or skillet. So there's a couple things going on there. I mean, there's a lot of kind of one pot books out there for sure. And what makes this really different is that as a nutritionist, I looked at it and said, 
I want each one of these to be a complete meal. So if it's a vegetarian meal, it has enough protein in it to be a complete satisfying meal. If it's a meat dish, then it has a balanced amount of meat and it has lots of vegetables and whole grains to make it a healthful overall balanced meal in that way. So looking at each recipe, not only for its ease and kind of weeknight one pot easiness, which P.S. This is a, a really a gift to my husband because he's the one who does the dishes in my house. <laughs> but um, but looking at it also as like I don't have to make anything else. I know that this is a complete meal as it is. So that's my hole in one, and I'm just enjoying bringing it to the world. It's such as you know, such an intense, very personal and and often difficult process to create a book that you really are passionate about? Well, I think what is so intriguing about what you do is that, again, this is your seventh book. So there's a threat to all of your books because you are a nutritionist. And I'm just going to read some of the titles because they really tell a story. Comfort Food Fix, Weeknight Wonders, You Haven't Made Delicious Healthy Do-Ahead Meals, Another book is called The Food You Crave, Luscious Recipes for Healthy Life. Another one is called So Easy, Healthy Recipes for Every Meal of the Week. And a book you say is part cookbook, but part philosophy, a small changes, big results. How do you keep on stretching, enlarging sort of the playpen that you live in? Because I do know how difficult it is to come up with new concepts and new ideas and, of course, new recipes. But each one of your books really seems to have a very strong message. Yeah. So how do you sit up all night and think about this? (laughs) I do, actually. (laughs) It does keep me up. Um, But first of all, I'd love to talk a little bit about that playpen, as you put it. Yes. Because each one is different. Each book is different. But the playpen is the same. And that is my basic food philosophy, which it's more than just food to me. It's really about helping people live well, live well in an overall way. So I really, um, as a dietitian, as a nutritionist, I feel that we live in this diet culture now that is all about the extremes. Mm. People are stressed about food. They look at a restaurant menu and they kind of almost have a panic attack because (laughs) one thing is bad for you and then you read these reports. I mean, it's just the media world is very um, sensationalized and it can be very stressful for people. So my whole thing is to help everyone take a collective deep breath Mm -hmm. and that You know, one of the things that I'm quoted on most that was in one of my first books is, in my food world, there is no fear or guilt. There is only joy and balance. Oh, Ellie, I'm so glad you're saying this because I really strongly feel food has become so demonized, like we're blaming the food for all of the issues as opposed to just learning how to find, refine the joy in eating. Right. Yeah, God and it, bless you for doing oh, thank this. Thank you. And it, and it's confu- it's honestly many of the issues are confusing. They're confusing to the experts. Mm. So I can understand why the public is confused. However, still there's a way to do it that is not full of fear, that is full of joy and the balance is key. So I think a lot of times, you know, people 
go to the extremes. They say no, never to this, and they cut out one whole food group or whatever. They feel they have to in order to be healthy. So you don't have to. This is my food philosophy. And I developed this when I was in private practice as a dietitian. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because it went on to be the foundational principle for every recipe I created since still to this day. And so this has been over a decade. So it's um, that I see food as usually, sometimes, and rarely. Mm. And so there's no such thing as never. That's the first thing to notice. Because when you take out the never then you take away this notion of the forbidden fruit. So I don't know about you, but if someone told me that I could never have chocolate cake again, <laughs> I would suddenly be obsessed with chocolate cake. Mm. I, I, know, I could take it or leave it right now. Like I am not crazy. If I want some, I have some, and then I move on. It doesn't take up that much space in my brain. The minute you say never, this thing takes up so much space of your consciousness because it's this forbidden fruit. So immediately taking away that notion... And finding balance by looking at food as usually, sometimes, and rarely, if you make the usually foods the backbone of what you do, what mm -hmm. you do literally usually, and that is eating vegetables, whole fruits, whole grains, nuts, seeds, beans, healthy oils, fish, lean proteins, doing that, if that's most of what you're doing, then you can sprinkle in what I call the sometimes foods. Maybe they're a little bit more processed, a little bit less nutritional dense foods you want to kind of watch out, but are still fine. So like sweet added sweeteners that are unrefined, like honey or maple syrup. Mm -hmm. You don't want to like douse your food in it, but a little bit can go a long way. Or a refined grain like white flour. I'm not living my life without a piece of French bread now and then. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's just the perfect thing right. for that dish or that meal. And then the rarely foods are foods that a lot of nutritionists have on the no list, right? The never list. Mm -hmm. And a lot of chefs, I think, use really with a heavy hand. So butter, bacon, cream, refined sugar, all of those things are fine. In minimum amounts for maximum impact. That's kind of how I like to say it. So I started those lists to help my clients when I was in private practice. And it literally is the foundation of every recipe I do. And so that's the playpen to me, finding balance by looking at food in that way. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who are very, very happy <laughs> to hear this really great, sensible uh, message. Yeah. But Unlike a chef, I mean, you are so well uh, educated in nutrition that this is really coming from a very scientific place of great inquiry and discovery. But you also said something interesting about even the experts don't always get it right. So, yeah. you know, a long time ago, there was a very famous nutritionist who said, you know, calorie in, calorie out, all calories are the same. And of course, we're learning now that that is not the case. And to eliminate any food group is such a such a mistake. I mean, for example, we don't even fully understand what's in everything, right? Broccoli has uh, maybe 10,000 phytonutrients in it. So to eliminate anything is is unfortunate and I think not the way we were really designed. Yeah, actually, it's funny you say that about broccoli because this lifestyle medicine doctor that I really, I like his work a lot, David Katz, Dr. David Katz, he said, the active ingredient in broccoli is broccoli. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> um, so and I really believe that. So that's why it comes back to this whole foods, right? Whole in one. But to get back to your question about how difficult it is or what. Oh, so no. how do you now create seven books from this concept? And 
So for me, it's also the other part of it that's also really science-based because all of my recipes are science-based. I don't present them that way, but I completely am looking at the science and saying, how can my recipes reflect what we know in the science today? And P.S., just to digress a little bit on that, I think people shouldn't be afraid to hear scientists change their mind. Mm. I think you should be more afraid if a scientist refuses to change their mind. Oh. Because that is what science is. We gather data, we gather information, and we look at it over the long term. And if the data is leading us in one direction, not one study, but the body of work is leading us in one direction in terms of a belief, we need to be able to change so once we get stuck in dogma is when you really have a problem. So don't be afraid to hear that something, oh, this was good for you, now it's bad for you. Just don't make turns on a dime because no good scientist is going to do that. But if you start to look at a real body of data over a course of years, then it's okay for it to change. And it really honestly should. So I think that's a certain mindset that people don't really get about science in general. Thank you for that, really. Are you still in private practice? Because I think I want to come running. <laughs> I would try. And I think my daughter would want to come running too. Oh, thank you. No, I haven't done that for a long time, okay. actually. I did really enjoy it, but yeah, I just don't have yeah, time don't. to do all of this. We already enumerated all of the other things that you're doing. Like, can you tell me the difference actually between being a nutritionist and a dietitian? Is that sort of a word that has changed in use or once upon a time it was dietitian, but now it's much more fashionable to use the word nutritionist or are there really some concrete differences? Yeah, there's a very distinct difference. Oh. A registered dietitian is sort of like a registered nurse. Like in order to be called a registered dietitian, you have to meet very rigorous educational requirements. You have to have, I don't know exactly, for me, you know, it's changed a little bit, but you have to have an undergraduate degree in the nutritional sciences, possibly a master's. You have to do an internship, a 900-hour internship, mm. take a test, and do continuing education credits every single year. So it's quite rigorous, really. Anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. Anybody. Oh. There's no legal definition of that, but there is a legal definition of a registered dietitian. Now, though, registered dietitians also call themselves registered dietitian nutritionists. I don't blame Because them. the word diet <laughs> is in the word dietitian, I found, find it a little bit difficult. So I call myself an RD nutritionist sort of thing. Perfect. Um, I think nutritionist, the word is a lot more relatable, but frankly... Well, sexier. Yeah. You know, I think the, the association with dietitian has to do with, you know, hospital and institutional food, unfortunately, yeah. because clearly the requirements are quite stringent. So if someone calls themselves a nutritionist, it's possible that they're not a registered dietitian, but they do have an advanced degree in nutrition otherwise. So if someone calls themselves a nutritionist, just ask where they got their credentials. Thank you. I will. Next time I meet someone like that. <laughs> Ellie, so for people who haven't seen you on television yet, and I definitely want to talk about your TV career, you actually started out life as a model. Tell me about that. And how food entered your life. Oh, my goodness. So it is a little bit of a convoluted path, as 
most people's paths are, right? We don't really do this linearly. Especially women in the food world, because, you know, it's only really in the last three or four decades that this was even a possibility for us. So, yes, I think many of us really did create our own journeys. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hear about yours. So, yeah. So my mother says that me becoming a nutritionist is like a pyromaniac becoming a firefighter, (laughs) which is pretty much all anyone needs to know about me. I mean, I've loved food (laughs) from the very, very beginning. And was passionate about it. I was kind of overweight as a child. I think it actually was disproportionately important to me as a kid. And I didn't, I wasn't active. I didn't have a lot of physical self-esteem. That really shaped my worldview and my view of myself in many ways. When I became a teenager, I almost flipped it the other way and started losing too much weight Mm -hmm. and becoming almost obsessive with food and overly restrictive. So that was my journey as far as that goes, which I think actually helps me understand people struggle a lot with work I do today. But all of that food wise, I always loved cooking. I always loved being around food. I went to college and was pre-med. I loved the health sciences. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I majored in nutrition because I loved food and it fulfilled all the requirements. As I was studying nutrition, I realized the depth and breadth of the field. Because when you're 18, you really don't really get that, understand. And I decided that's what I wanted to do. But concurrently, I needed a summer job after my freshman year of college. And I knew some people in the fashion business. I grew up here in New York. And they encouraged me to try to do this modeling thing. And I had always done as a hobby, like acting stuff, like improvisational acting was sort of my hobby in high school. And (laughs) that was my like enrichment activity. (laughs) So I was always into that kind of on camera stuff. I definitely pounded the pavement and almost didn't quite get my first job before I had to get a waitressing job or something else to make ends meet because my parents really needed me to pitch in. But eventually it just clicked that summer after my freshman year of college. And I wound up getting some great bookings and then getting an offer to go to Tokyo. And so I took off a year from college and I went all over the world modeling. I went to Japan. This is like everyone's fantasy. Yeah, it was. I'll tell you what. I cried every day. (laughs) Mm. Like, don't be, you know, confused that it was a glamorous experience because it was not I was like kind of I say the working horse of the modeling world. I mean, I did like catalog jobs and I did some fun glam jobs, but it was like rough. You know, you're huffing it around and you definitely are kind of a piece of meat, honestly. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I'm so, sure that was even more true than than possibly yeah. today. I do believe there's maybe a new awareness, but I'm sure that industry really does breed a lot of what you're kind of suggesting. Yeah, I mean... And you were young and you were traveling all around the world by yourself. I don't know if it felt lonely or if it felt... uh, Yes, of course. And then the people who are supposedly looking after you are actually kind of the ones... Yes. (laughs) So it's... But luckily, my dad was a New York City police officer. Really? I grew up here in New York and my parents were adamant that I had eyes wide open. So I luckily came armed with a great suspicion of just about everyone. Oh, I thought you were going to say with a can of mace, but that's no, good too. and <laughs> that maybe. <laughs> and that possibly. But nonetheless, it wound up, I also had a wonderful time. And it actually wound up really shaping my my food view because I really was on a budget and I would go to these markets in all of these countries and make food and really learn about the cuisine of that country because I was in each one for several months. But I never really wanted to do modeling as a career. 
but it wound up kind of really taking off. It ultimately paid for school for me. I went back to school and then I would just model in the summer and winter break. And then when I graduated from my undergraduate degree, which was at Cornell, I did my master's at night and modeled full time. And so I did my, 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 my master's took me about five years for a one and a half year master's because I did it part time while I was modeling. So it wound up being this fabulous career that paid for my education and really paid for uh, really subsidized my nutrition career, honestly. This is fascinating. And I'm really getting this feeling of um, I'm sure there's an eighth book in the works at some point. But Ellie, I'm wondering if your eighth book shouldn't be a little bit more like a memoir and making the connections between food when you were young and feelings of self-worth and self-loathing and then becoming a model and then traveling and budget. I, I think there's so many juicy, compelling stories here. Oh, thank you for saying that. I do have some good stories to tell. <laughs> good gossipy ones, too. That's great. So when we come back, I do want to hear much, much more about the flavors and the foods that you love what you ate growing up, some of the discoveries you made when you traveled as a model, and of course, to talk more about your newest book, Whole in One. Here's a cooking tip to share. This one from my guest, Ellie Krieger. So my tip, my best cooking tip really, is to kind of change your mindset around the way you approach a meal. So I come home a lot of times, I'm so tired. I, I feel like it's another task, another chore, another thing I have to sort of check off my list. But then if I change my mind around it and I do one thing, I put music on. A little Bob Marley goes a long way, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden I, can, I sort of relax into that moment. I put my phone down, I put the music on and now, that little time, I'm going to do a quick recipe so it's not going to take a long time. That little time that I spend chopping is actually so much more relaxing and so much more enjoyable. And it also helps me to kind of crack open a bottle of wine and be sipping that along with it. It's amazing what those actions can do to change your mindset around the way you approach a meal. From Ellie's Kitchen to yours, give it a try and pass it along. Your kisses light mine. Ellie, very often on the show, we start with someone's childhood. And uh, so it's kind of like past, present, future. So we sort of started with the present. But I do want to go back a little bit to the childhood kitchen. You grew up in Queens, yes. in Bayside, I think, not far yes. from where I grew up yes, in Fresh we Meadows. Neighbors, I guess. Yeah. So who was in your kitchen? What were some of your favorite tastes, memories? What ingredients? What are you smelling? Who's there? Yeah. So actually, my most wonderful family meal memories were in my grandmother's house, which was a block away from our house. Ah. So my mom worked full time and went to school at night. And she was really not interested in cooking. Even to this day, she's not really that interested in cooking. <laughs> and I don't begrudge her that at all. Mm. I mean, she and I think in some ways, I became a cook because of that, because I had to fend for myself in some ways from a young age. What did she do? Like she mom. was a teacher and then mm. ultimately a guidance counselor. And so in a way, I realized later in life that I was counseled my whole life, which, mm. which, which is really a wonderful thing to have that kind of 
educated guidance at, besides the love, the regular maternal love. Beautiful. And so, a father who was a policeman. You were yeah. really <laughs> looked after and taken care of. But, um, Very protected. But my grandmother was the one who cooked, really. And we would go over there, and she really put that love into the food. And she would start with a piece of melon, and then we would have a salad, and then we would have <laughs> a, the meal. And I just remember it being just that kind of set table and the ritual of the different courses and a lot of fresh foods on the table and good conversation. And so that was really meaningful to me. The other memory that I think is really formative for me is that my parents loved to eat multiculturally around New York. Mm. So we were kind of on a tight budget all the time. And we would go to these like family run restaurants, Dominican restaurants in Queens. We'd go to Chinatown all the time. We would go to the Greek. I remember going to Greek church fairs. I remember my very mm. first Spanakopita, which literally was one of those moments where you taste something and just your whole flowers come out of your head. <laughs> like you just, your whole world is opened up. So I completely remember that moment. So we, I definitely was exposed to a lot of different cultures. And that's one of the things that I say about my food when people say, well, what kind of food do you make? I say it's delicious food that happens to be good for you. So it's not like health food, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. um, although some things you might think of as health food, like grain bowls and things like that. But but it's really just delicious food. But I, I like to say I do like a Mediterranean style of eating, but with global flavors. So I really pull from all of those food experiences that I personally, even to this day, just love to experiment with different kinds of flavors. Mm. Well, you know, you talk about this uh, ritual at your grandmother's house, and it just feels like a vanquished way of life. It feels so dreamy, and I really believe we're missing this. I mean, families today really don't have that experience. And again, to have your grandmother a block away is very special. But was that every night, or that was more like a weekend or something? No, it was a couple times a week wow. that we would do that. That's a lot of melon. <laughs> it was, it be, yeah, it was usually a melon. We'd have a slice of melon to start. I loved that. Why don't we do I need to do that now, actually. <laughs> it's really funny. But, you, but can we add a little prosciutto to that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and where was your grandmother from? She was. She grew up in New York, so okay. all of my grandparents were born in New York. But one of the things that actually, it's just, I don't mean to get off the topic, but one of the things that I do myself is really try to make dinner at home. That is so important to me, mm -hmm. to make dinner at home during the week for my family, my little family of three. And I don't put out melon, but I might have to do that. <laughs> you're going to start. Well, I'm going to start. <laughs> but that's one of the reasons why I write these books that you're talking about, because each one kind of tackles that issue of why don't we have time to do this? What are the barriers? Why aren't we doing? Why is this a vanquished thing? It shouldn't be. There's no reason for that. And so maybe we just need to change it up a little bit so that it's easier to do, so that it feels more accessible, so that it feels doable. And that's what each of my books kind of are about because, well, most of the last three anyway, because Weeknight Wonders is 30 minutes or less. Mm. So you come home from work and you have these 30 minute meals in your back pocket. The next one is you have it made, which is make ahead. So that's another strategy. I make a big soup every weekend, a big pot of soup, and we eat that all week oh, or fantastic. for at least four days or whatever. This one is whole in one. So that's the idea of sort of distilling all the chaos into one pan and having very little cleanup to do. So it, it's all 
I think, really solutions for getting to that place at my grandma's house where we can all sit together. As you write these books, though, is it getting easier in this respect because there are so many more ingredients out there, global ingredients. I really believe that the produce sections are getting larger and larger. We're importing more things, that there's so much more variety. So is that, again, getting back to the playpen, does that make life much more fun for you? Oh, there's yeah. There's much more to play with. <laughs> I, absolutely. I mean, when I started doing this, you couldn't even get Greek yogurt. How about that? Wow. In my very first book, I explained how to make Greek yogurt by straining regular yogurt. And that was how I incorporated it into the book. And now I can just say, well, take a quarter cup of Greek yogurt. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of change really has been dramatic in the past, say, 10 years. But I do, across the board, try really hard to not live in this bubble of New York City accessibility because I have a focus group of one <laughs> in <laughs> Michigan, my, um, my mother-in-law. And I call her and ask her, Ma, I call her, oh, can nice. you get um, – can you get tamarind paste easily? Or do you know, can you get fresh fennel or whatever? And if she tells me she can't get it, I don't put it in the book, honestly, because uh, I don't want people to have to buy things online. And I mean, I put harissa paste in one of my recipes. I think there'll be an occasional special ingredient, but I think if you can get it at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, then I may put it in. But I'm really careful to use ordinary ingredients. And I like to say that I use them, though, in extraordinary ways. Mm. So to kind of use it in a way that you might not think of to have, give it a wow factor. But if it's what something... What comes to mind when you say that? So, for example, I have this ancho black bean chili in hole-in-one. And I put orange juice in it and orange zest. Mm. And it just takes this like deep, umami, rich, hearty chili and gives it this like, bing. Oh, yeah, I'm really feeling this. And it's so <laughs> lovely and fragrant. And so who doesn't have an orange in their refrigerator? You know nice. what I mean? And so it's easy to overlook it, but to use it in a different kind of way that you mm. might not ordinarily think of. That's kind of what I do throughout the book. Other ingredients, to your point, like quinoa or fennel, I mean, I'll ask my mother-in-law, can you get this? And if she says to me, oh, that's what that is, ah, then I know. And it's a teaching moment. Yes. Perfect. So, Perfect. so that's kind of cool. So I am really loving this book. Um, and I am going to run home tonight and make your zucchini pancakes Ooh. with go yogurt feta sauce. Tell me about this. Ooh, what else I, is in there? I mean, ooh, that I just jumped this. out at me. I love these. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yum. I want one right now. <laughs> it's quite It's quite simple and lovely. Um, so it's basically a – it's grated zucchini. And then the key of it is really pressing out the water as much as possible. So I toss it with a little bit of salt first mm -hmm. and, like, let that sit while you get the rest of the ingredients prepared. And it's – I think I have some onion in there is, like, the main seasoning. So it's just this really – very zucchini forward, you know, it tastes mm. very fresh. And then it's wrapped up, tied together with egg and flour, but really the zucchini speaks in the pancake. It's not egg and flour with a little zucchini in it. It really has that lovely zucchini-ness. <laughs> That's a word now we've decided, right? <laughs> and yes. then the sauce is lovely too. It's yogurt and feta cheese just kind of mixed together with a little bit of lemon. Mm. I think there's garlic in it, if I recall correctly, just a touch. But yeah, it's just lovely together. And that sauce makes it so it's so creamy and luscious, but it's really healthful, you know, rich in protein, 
punched up with the flavor of the feta cheese. I think you'll enjoy it. And so you would serve this as a main course? I would serve it. could the... even be a side dish, but exactly. do people do, I'm thinking I'm using the word side dish. I haven't even thought about this idea of side dish, right? Because yeah. everything is, the way we construct meals now, I think is so different. It's so different. And yeah, so this literally is a complete meal. So it has the vegetable, it has the protein from the egg and the yogurt and the cheese and has whole grain flour in there. So it really is a complete meal. You can just eat that or you can serve that as part of a brunch, mm. um, brunch spread with other things. I would or, love that. Yeah. Or it can, you can serve it with a salad if you want or as a side with a soup. You can mix and match. But but if you don't want to make anything else, this completely would be a complete meal. And you said one of your criteria is having this idea of completeness for every dish. But are you also looking at calories and fat content and sodium, again, from a nutritionist's point of view as opposed to a chef's point yes. of view? Yes. So I never cook to the numbers. Mm -hmm. I always cook using my usually, sometimes rarely lists because I think in terms of whole food. How can I make this more of a usually, you know, what can I do? Um, maybe I need to sprinkle in something in a some, sometimes world for texture or whatever. But then I run the numbers. So all of my recipes have the nutritional data. And what re is always remarkable to me is that the numbers always work out when I use my usually sometimes rarely lists. I think people can get hung up on numbers, which I really oh, yes. discourage. But I like to have them there. I think they're a good guide and, and can be a helpful guide. And so... With that regard, I put the nutritional data in there, but also I add what that recipe is an excellent source of nutrient-wise and what it's a good source of. And I'm always kind of blown away how this meal of real food mm -hmm. is an excellent source of all these different nutrients. And I love to put that in the book because I think it's a reminder of that as opposed to, no, you don't need to have this special powder <laughs> sprinkled on your food in order to get those nutrients. Right. That Just real, actual real. food is doing that. So I do have that. And I do have standards in terms of, you know, it needs to be lower than a certain amount of sodium and it has to have a certain amount of protein for, mm -hmm. to, for me to call it a full meal and fiber and so on. So I do look at those things and, you know, low and saturated fat and stuff like that. Do I get to have my beloved gorgonzola cheese, smoked salmon, and a glass of wine on your regime? Yes. Well, I think you <laughs> oh, know the answer to that. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? And I think the thing is like, so for, with a cheese plate, for example, I mean, sort of my approach to a cheese plate, I sometimes come home from a day of testing recipes. And the last thing I want to do is like eat a meal, actually, because I'm just tasting all day, but I'm kind of hungry and I make a cheese plate. And so I might put some lovely silky gorgonzola on there. I'd love that flavor. And a little bit goes a long way, right? With yes. those beautiful, rich cheeses, potent cheeses. And then I put some grapes and some sliced apples and maybe some almonds and maybe some dried figs. And I make the plate more usually, right? So it can still have the cheese and the salmon I would actually consider. The smoked salmon maybe I would consider sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So some smoked salmon on there, fine. It's a beautiful plate. But amping it up with more usuallys and that sort of is where you go with the whole thing. So this is a theory and philosophy is really taking you very, very far. Yeah. <laughs> very exciting. Ellie, when we come back, I want to hear more about hole-in-one because you have specific, something you call the essential six, the utensils or pots that you need. I'm also curious about what the essential ingredients one might have, but I want to hear about what's meaningful to you now and your next steps. And 
Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. So back to Hole in One, W-H-O-L-E in One, and it's really a metaphor for completeness and one-pot cooking, and it's really beautiful, and it's just out, and you're on this great book tour. But you talk about something called the essential six. What are they? I think a lot of people think that you have to buy a big electronic gadget that costs a lot of money and takes up half of your counter space in order to have a one pot meal. And my whole thing is, you know what, you can make these dishes, every single one of them with the pots and pans, versatile, regular pots and pans. And so the essential six are literally six items that you need. And most people probably already have these six items, you know, a large skillet, a large pot, it's like a stock pot that's oven proof, a sheet pan and so on. So these six items, that is all you need, the only cookware you need to make every single recipe in this book. Mm. And each recipe, you only need one of those vessels, but you only need six to make any recipe in the whole book. And actually, I'm excited because Circulon has created a cookware kit inspired by this book. And so it's the hole-in-one essentials. Oh, this and is wonderful. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's this beautiful, actually, Merlot color. So it matches kind of the color of the book in a way, the color of the the color theme of the book. And it's this beautiful, elegant color. And it's really great quality cookware. So if you need an upgrade, like I said, you probably have. Uh, no, I don't. You know, maybe you need an upgrade ready for match. a refresh. A refresh. I love this idea. Yeah. So were you very involved in the process of putting this kit together and yeah. choosing sizes and shapes? Exactly. And... Exactly. And so I'm really thrilled about it. And how does someone get it? So you can just go to my website, elliekrieger.com, E-L-L-I-E-K-R-I-E-G-E-R.com. And if you click on the cookware tab, takes you right to the page. It's a really mm. great set. And, um, and the I'm holidays are coming it. up and I'm excited. My daughter just moved into her own apartment. Her first apartment yes. this is perfect. I have several friends with college age kids and they're starting in their own place for the first time. So a copy of this book with that cookware set and they can make 125 recipes. Boom. <laughs> wow. Boom is right. That's so great. So the essential six, you kind of enumerated what they are in terms of cookware. But if I were to ask you, what might be the essential six ingredients that someone needs to either have in their pantry or refrigerator? Like, what can't you live without? Oh, my gosh. So mine's pretty well stocked, I have to say. I'm sure yours is, too. I mean, good bottle of olive oil. Yes. Right. <laughs> you need that. I Gotta use that every it. day. I would say a good selection of spices and herbs. Mm -hmm. And I think always buy the small jars so that you can have some turnover faster kind of thing. You don't want to buy those giant jars of it and feel so invested. But I love to add, you know, those spices because and so things like chili powder, oregano, cumin, coriander, turmeric, um, cinnamon, mm. So those basics. And then, you know, seasonings. I don't think those are everyone's basics. Oh, and I really? Love, yes. And I love that you mentioned them. Oh, wow. I think with the, you can go all around the world with those. Exactly. So I, I tend to not purchase personally any mixes, 
right? Because from those that I just mentioned, I can go to Mexico, I can go to India, I can go to Israel with those spices that I just spoke of. So it's nice to have those individual ground spices. Things like oatmeal, you know, whole grains in your pantry. Why not, right? Another thing that I discovered while I was making this book is how much I love frozen rice, frozen brown rice. What is that? So I know, right? So brown rice, you know, or whole grain rice, or really many whole grains take kind of a while to cook, right? Mm -hmm. And an extra pot. (laughs) If you're doing one pot and you want to serve it with a grain on the side or on top. So I started experimenting with frozen rice and I was amazed. It's literally cooked rice that comes in a bag and you buy it at most grocery stores now. I had just learned of it, but it's there, right there. You may just have not seen it. And literally, you just take the rice and put it in a bowl and put it in the microwave or on on your stove if you want. But I just put it in the serving bowl in the microwave and it cooks up so fluffy and fresh like you don't even know the difference. This is completely new to me. It's amazing. And it's two minutes. And so I discovered that in making this book because that helps keep things one pot even if you want to serve it with a grain kind of thing. Yes. It's sort of an economy and efficiency of pots and pans and time. Yeah. Right. Because you're trying to help people get a beautiful meal on the table rather quickly. And I think people have, again, an all or nothing thing when it comes to ingredients too. Like they, I love going, I go every Friday that I can to my farmer's market. I know my farmer and I get vegetables with the dirt still clinging to it and Mm -hmm. bring it home and I'm in heaven. But that doesn't (laughs) happen every week. It's not going to happen every week like that. Sometimes I buy cut butternut squash and frozen rice and pre-washed greens. And you know what? It's okay. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for (laughs) allowing us to do this, Ellie, and to make wholesome, great, delicious food. What about your feelings about frozen spinach? Yeah, great. great. I mean, for, I use that a lot. In um, If you're going to cook the spinach anyway, it actually is comparable in nutrition to fresh cooked. If you buy vegetables that are frozen, they're completely comparable nutritionally to fresh cooked vegetables. So no problem. Frozen peas actually usually are better unless you can pick them right off the vine and eat them in the next hour. (laughs) Exactly. And that happens just a couple of weeks during the year anyway. Yeah. So this is fantastic to know. It's very, very liberating. Thank you. So Ellie, what is your legacy recipe? So this is a very hard question. (laughs) Especially when you've created, you know, a thousand. And I have such a, a, a passion for different kinds of food. But I would have to say, being that I'm being forced to pick. Yes, you are. (laughs) Um, I would have to say I love the butternut squash soup with tahini and crispy chickpeas. That sounds good. That is in Hole in One. And one of the reasons why I love it is because I have to pick a soup, first of all, because that is my right-hand pot of goodness that I do every week, some kind of soup. So I'm kind of known for that within my immediate circle. (laughs) always having a pot of nourishing goodness Mm. ready. And this soup in particular I love because it brings in a certain creative thinking that I really liked that I'm known for that works, you know, (laughs) that really works sometimes, but again, with the ease of everyday ingredients. So I take the butternut squash and I cook it with some shallot and garlic and some cumin and turmeric and some broth But I put in an entire can of chickpeas. Mm. So I take it. I usually buy no salt added chickpeas, Mm. drained and rinsed. And I had a conversation recently with someone saying, oh, what about the preservatives and canned food? Canning is a preservative of its own. There are no added preservatives to canned food. 
unless it's like seasoned in some way or it's like a, a dish, but a pure food, it should just have chickpeas on the ingredient list. Okay. So anyway, I put that whole can in and that when I puree it, it becomes super rich and creamy. The chickpeas give it mm. so much body. Yeah. And also gives you that protein so that it's a whole meal. Huh. Then I love the garnishes because I just take tahini paste, which I am a little bit obsessed with these days. <laughs> yeah, I, me too. I could put it on everything. <laughs> I love tahini. I like how you say it, though. I, I don't say tahina. it right. Tahina. <laughs> um, so just a simple tahina. And then I put crispy chickpeas. So I had made this soup or I'd made a soup. And then I'm looking at these crispy chickpeas, this little bag of snacks that I had in my cupboard. I'm like, hmm, that would be darn good on my soup. And I just kind of threw it in and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect. It sort of gives you that crunch of a crouton, but it's the crunch of a crouton. That's a very nice sound bite. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's on this soup, too. So I think it just brings together a lot of my like thought process from a nutritional and also flavor perspective and ingredient perspective. And it just happens to be darn good, even if you think don't think about any of those things and you just make it. (laughs) It's a beautiful photograph in the book. And uh, it actually spirals right back to the beginning of our conversation when you just try to describe your food, which was essentially Mediterranean, but also global. So this dish is a very good example of that. Plus, I think it's really quite contemporary. It's really lovely. Can't wait to make that too with the zucchini pancakes with a yogurt feta sauce. Uh, it would and, go you know, well together. Yes, it would. <laughs> and you could even drizzle a little tahina on top of those zucchini pancakes. Ooh. It would be great. Ellie, what's meaningful to you now? I know you're on book tour. You've done many things. You are also the host of a television show right now. So wh- what is the name of that show? So my show is called Ellie's Real Good Food. It's Uh, on public television. And you know what? I'm also really enjoying doing a lot of video on Instagram TV and Facebook Live and Facebook. I love talking to people on camera, really. And these social media aspects, these platforms really allow you to connect with people really directly. So I'm completely enjoying that. And one of the things that is important to me now, especially on book tour, when you're bringing this work into the public. It's a very sort of vulnerable feeling, right? I pour my heart into it. So mm-hmm. you're putting yourself out there really in a, in a very big way. What is so meaningful to me is that people come to me and come to my book signing and they say, I have been making your food for years and I have lost this much weight. And this isn't even about weight, but it's more about being healthy and well. And they say, you change the way I look at food. And just to, have, to be in people's kitchens floods me with joy mm-hmm. and my gives my career meaning um, and my life meaning, frankly. I mean, I have lots of different things to be um, to be so grateful for, but certainly reaching people in their kitchen and knowing that their lives are better for it means the world to me. So hearing that from people has just been incredible. And then my daughter's off to college next year. Very exciting. So that's exciting and a new chapter for my husband and me as, as that going to be. So I'm looking forward to that too. And some traveling like you did when you were very young and a model and going all over the world and revisiting those farmer's markets and open air markets. and Yes. And this time maybe with a little bit more of a budget. (laughs) That would be nice. (laughs) And a husband. And a husband. Um, Yes. Ellie, thank you so much. And, you know, there's a question that I ask each guest. And here it is. What does one woman kitchen mean to you? One Woman Kitchen is a place where your imagination and creativity 
and your power can all converge at once. Wow. <laughs> That's so beautiful. And tell us again how we can get in touch with you. Where do we find you? Where do we find these gorgeous videos? We want you in our kitchen. Ellie. Oh, yeah. So if you just go to my website, it'll literally take you to all of my stuff. My, all of your stuff. My so videos, my books. So it's elliekrieger.com. E-L-L-I-E-K-R-I-E-G-E-R. And then um, there'll also be tabs where you could follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, that stuff like that. Right. And check out the cookware. The cookware, and of course, this beautiful new book, Hole in One. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with me today. And thanks to all of you for being with me and Ellie in my kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. And if you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden, written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter Audrey Appleby. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.